Hello, and welcome to the first edition of the Jaguar Weekly, a, as you may know, weekly podcast where I will be doing the announcements, and we will be having special sections that are devoted to awesome things that we'd like to talk about. And here are the announcements. The APHS Book Club is starting next week and is looking for new members. Our first meeting will be Thursday, December 10th at 2.45. Email Mrs. McMaster if you're interested, and she will send you a link for the Google Meet. Pending a possible extension to the stay-at-home order, we are tentatively set to start boys' basketball tryouts on Wednesday, December 9th through Thursday, December 10th. That'll be today and tomorrow. Stay tuned for any changes to the schedule. Times will be posted on the Allen Park Athletics website, www.allenparksports.com, and please make sure all physicals and online registration paperwork is completed through the website as well in order to try out. If trials take place, masks will be worn at all times, and please bring your own water bottle. I'm not going to drink out of others. And you're also not going to get access to the fountain because, you know, corona. The Interact Club is collecting donations of non-perishable food items, please no glass containers, to support the Open Arms Food Pantry. If you would like to donate any items, you can drop them off in the donation bin located at school outside the door near Ms. Hartley's room on Tuesdays between 8 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. If you are able, consider donating to help some local families in need. The Interact Club is also collecting handmade or handwritten holiday cards for the senior residents at the Pellock Apartments. Help spread some holiday cheer by getting creative and making some cards. Cards can also be dropped off in the bin outside the door near Ms. Hartley's room on Tuesdays, 8 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. And just a side note, many, many of these seniors have been staying inside their apartments for the whole time this pandemic is going on, so a little bit of extra cheer for them would probably help, as they probably have the Price is Right theme song stuck in their head. APHS will be conducting a holiday gift card drive as a safe alternative to our annual toy box drive. Drop-off times are limited, so reach out to Michelle Keene if you have any questions. That's our social worker at our school. Dates include December 7th through 8th and December 10th from 8 a.m. to noon on both dates. If you cannot make those dates, please contact Michelle Keene. Thank you for listening to the announcements. Thank you, Matthew, for those announcements. Now we go to Sophie Miller and Sarah Soleil as they talk about Ray, an initiative that they and several others in our community have undertaken. Hello, welcome to the first Ray segment of Jaguar Podcast, sponsored by Allen Park High School. I'm your host and APHS senior, Sophie Miller, and I'm here with Sarah Soleil. Hi, Sarah. Hi, it's so nice to be here with you, Sophie. For sure. It's good to see you. Um, so what is Ray? So Ray essentially is a community organization um, that is aligned with the district. And our goal is to um, essentially promote equity in terms of race and also raise awareness about race um, so that we can create a more equitable and inclusive environment um, for all of our students where we kind of normalize talking about um, these issues as well as making sure that it's felt today in the classroom for our students as well. Mm. That's awesome. Um, so what made you start, Ray? So for me, I kind of come at it from a unique perspective. Um, I do have two siblings who are younger and they're at the high school um, and both of them are adopted from China. 
Um, so for me, I've seen my experience as a white person going through the district and then also seen the perspective in my own family of students of color going through the district. Um, and I've seen the differences in our experiences and how much it's the little things that kind of make you notice the differences that are marginalizing microaggression comments. And then also seeing the lack of education and awareness amongst the staff, teachers and administration and handling those issues once they arise um, and get to the point of needing help from adults. Um, and I know that those experiences aren't unique to my family. Um, and so really it is necessary for us to all kind of come together around this issue and use our collective energy so that we can address these issues and better the day-to-day -day experiences for our students of color. Uh, how many members do, uh, does Ray have? So at this point we have 95 members. Um, which is so exciting and they kind of come from all corners of the community. We have current students and would love for any of our high school students to join us as well. Um, teachers, staff, parents, alumni, administrators, school board members, um, and members of our central office staff as well, all kind of coming together to combine all of their perspectives um, and in a really awesome way. Um, so yeah, 95 at this point, but we're always willing to have more as well. I think that's a great start. And I think what you're doing is great as well. And I really hope more people are able to join. And I hope word gets out about it. And I really hope this podcast helps. But I really do appreciate you coming on here and explaining everything. Uh, so next question is, what are microaggressions and what do they look like? Or how do they impact our everyday lives? So microaggressions are kind of those small comments that some people don't view as racist or rooted in race, but they really do have a lasting impact and further marginalize um, students of color. Um, so for example, like kind of overgeneralizing um, to the Asian American population saying, oh, like you must be smart because you're Asian. Um, or can you even see your eyes are so small? Like those are just a couple examples of kind of showing where even like the one about being smart, like, yes, that's a positive trait, but you're assuming that based on a generalization about a group of people that you don't actually know, you aren't necessarily making it based on the actual characteristics of the person. And then by latching onto those sometimes generalizations, you're actually making it seem like they're different than you and further away and more separate. Um, and those are felt and they apply to every social identity, every race. There's always generalizations you can make. Um, and so really like, I feel like sometimes they're seen as like the small funny comments, but they really do add up to a bigger problem that becomes hard to deal with. And then sometimes it's like, okay, like one said, and that's the one that sets me off because it's already happened so many times. Um, so that's something that really, we can talk about more and more and normalize this conversation um, to raise, a, to bring an awareness about what they look like because sometimes it's just ignorance where we just aren't aware of the impact or the negative impact of some of the things that we say. So definitely an opportunity to grow and learn and be better. For sure. When you brought that subject up in Ms. Melville's leadership class, 
I definitely had a feeling that majority of people didn't understand what it was, myself included. Like, I understood that there was obviously racism in the world, but I didn't understand that there were microaggressions, essentially. Very small acts that build up over the years towards those of a minority. I didn't realize that. And honestly, I feel really bad, but I'm really glad that you're educating me and educating others and you're getting the word out there. Um, so what is implicit bias? So implicit bias kind of goes along with microaggressions and all these words are kind of intertwined. Um, but implicit bias really is the way that we view the world that we don't even realize it's the way that we're viewing the world. It's kind of the lens that we have to view everything, but it's so, it feels so normal to us that it's just how the world is that we don't really realize that we might be viewing a certain group of people generalized. We might be viewing a certain group of people in a negative light um, because it just feels so normal. But really, look, when we think about implicit bias, it's really kind of about self-reflection. Um, thinking about how am I, how is me and my identities shaping how I view everything around me? Um, and a lot of times with that reflection, it's like, oh my gosh, I have been, I do have bias that impacts how I view people. Um, and a lot of times it's kind of a rude awakening, but it really is important to kind of take that moment for self-reflection um, and kind of acknowledge the differences that we see um, and maybe our own blind spots about how the world operates. Um, yeah. So do you think that's like, Obviously, implicit bias, it means you're not necessarily conscious about it until you, like, formally get educated about it. But do you think that it's really built into our society to the point where for a lot of people, specifically, like, my grandparents, my parents' generation, like, boomers, uh, Gen Xs, do you think it's too late for them to learn? Do you think it's ever too late for an older person to learn about implicit bias or microaggressions or any of that? I think it's never too late. I think even though it's more ingrained in their generation, it doesn't mean that they can't grow and learn. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to having an open mindset about all of it um, because really it is kind of hard to confront sometimes, but if you come at it with an open mind, with a growth mindset where it's, I wanna be better, I wanna do better, and with that comes the education, learning, talking to people part of it. Um, but everybody's capable of that. It's just, there's different aspects that kind of play into it for each generation that kind of show where it comes from. And showing where it comes from is a big piece of it to kind of helping to understand why you view things the way you do too. So circling back to Ray, can you go in depth about the guiding principles of Ray? Absolutely. So our guiding principles kind of are there to shape and guide our work as teams. Um, and we have six different teams. Um, and so some of the ones that are really key are collaboration, um, adapting and pivoting when new opportunities arise, illuminating possibilities, relationship building, and creating a supportive community 
and being a valued part of the local community. Um, so each of those kind of layer on top of each other to say, we are here together, we are in the community with the community, and we are going to see what we find and move forward. Um, we realize that we don't have all the answers and none, no single person can, um, but with research, talking to people in the community, seeing what opportunities are there, um, we can create really innovative solutions um, within our community of like-minded people. Um, and really a big piece of it is the community of Ray and then also how the Ray community interacts with the entirety of Allen Park. Um, because it really is a two-way street between the broader community and Ray. It's not Ray isolated, it's informed by the rest of the broader community as well. Um, so with that, really kind of the relationships and everybody who's a part of it has kind of taken that step of why not me? Why can't I be a part of the steps forward? Um, and kind of taking ownership of, yes, I also can be a part of the solution as we move forward with this. I'm really like that you keep an open mind and the fact that you're like, I want to learn, but I understand I will not understand everything. And I from what I know, a lot of people that have that similar mindset are a part of Bray. Like they wanna get as much information as possible, but obviously it's impossible to get all the information. So I'm just glad you're willing to give as much as possible to your fullest extent, along with Michael, along with all the other um, founders of Ray. I just think it's amazing. Um, so what are the meetings like and how are they ran? Absolutely. So. With the broader group of Ray, all 95 of us, we do have monthly workshops that are kind of educational workshops to kind of continue building our racial justice kind of knowledge in that education piece that you've been talking a lot about, Sophie. Um, and then within that, we have our chairs um, who are amazing and from all aspects of the community. Sophie is one of them. Um, come join us. <laughs> and, so those chairs kind of run all of our team meetings. And so we have teams focused on curriculum, staff education, disciplinary protocols, peer-to-peer -peer dialogue, and then a middle school alignment and elementary alignment. Um, and those teams, we really, within all of Ray and all of our meetings, like they really are open and collaborative meetings. They're, we play music at the beginning, we check in with each other, we, like say how we appreciate each other at the end. Um, and each of those are kind of the community building aspects where we're there to be a community just as much as we're there to all be together and doing the work. Um, so really it kind of is that like chill, collaborative, but very much so like we're all here for the same reason um, and here to work together in a fun and collaborative way. Yeah, no. When I found out I was chair for Peter Pear Dialogue, I was like, oh my God, stop. <laughs> I was so flattered. I was so happy. And then with our last recent, with our couple of like past recent meetings, it's been, okay. I don't want to say it's been intimidating, but like I'm a child and yeah, the rest of the years are adults. You are so impressive the way you interact in those meetings. Thank you. It, it just, it means a lot that you guys still treat me not as like a full grown woman, but you still treat me with respect, like as a 
young adult. Like I'm going to college soon. I'm turning 18 in literally like a month. So it just, it really means a lot to me to have you guys, you know, be so nice to me. He's <laughs> so nice. <laughs> um, so our, oh, go ahead. I was just saying your voice is just as important, Sophie, just like every other high schooler as well. Like you guys have so much to offer that you don't even realize you have to offer. Trust me. Thank you, Sarah. That's so nice. All right. Um, are there other available resources or information the public has access to to educate themselves of both Ray and its primary goals? So we will be launching our website soon. Um, Michael is finishing up our final touches with that. Um, until then, um, it is listed on the district website along with the form to join us. Um, and then also you can visit us at Linktree. It's L-I-N-K-T-R period in between the R and the E-E -E, um, and then forward slash Allen Park Ray, R-A-E. So that's kind of our temporary place to get all the information or the district website, and we will be having a more legit website in the near future. And then uh, the last question I have for you is, what is the main focus or the vocal point of Ray? So Ray really is to advocate for our students of color, amplify their voices, give them the space, um, and making sure that whatever we do aligns with what they want and, um, really making sure that we reach the day-to-day -day experience of the classroom. Because if we aren't, if it's not a felt change, then we're kind of doing it for nothing. Um, if it's not, if you can't feel it in the classroom, um, that's kind of really like what we're getting at um, to really kind of change that narrative and coming at it from a lot of different angles, but really community focused, student focused um, and informed by best practices in the community as well. All right, perfect. Well, thank you for giving us information on RAE. That also stands for Racial Awareness and Equity Task Force. Um, I'm so glad that Allen Park is opening up to this new club. I'm really glad that so many people have already joined and I can't wait for its growth and expansion amongst others. And thank you so much just again for coming on. You're a great presence to be around. I love the information you give. Everything you're doing is very positive for the community and I'm very proud of you. Thank you so much, Sophie. It's always so good talking to you and I really appreciate you letting Ray be voiced on the Jaguar. Of course. All right, so tune in next week uh, for more Ray segments, but as of right now, we're all good. Goodbye, thank you for listening. Thank you, Sophie and Sarah for that information. And last but certainly not least, we go to Emma Compton with this week's Freaky Fun History Fact. Hello, my name is Emma Compton, and I'm going to be telling you about the fun parts of history. Most history classes focus mainly on military history, major wars, and leave out the really cool people that have influenced our world. The first really cool person I'm going to be telling you about is Mary Shelley. Even if you haven't heard of Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley, You've probably heard of Frankenstein, and let's say you live under a rock and have never heard of Frankenstein or any of Shelley's other works, you have most definitely heard of some of the things she influenced and created. Sci-fi, for starters. The entire genre. So without Shelley, there'd be no Star Wars, or Star Trek, or Avengers, or E.T., or The Twilight Zone. The list goes on. 
Pretty much everyone agrees that Shelley is responsible for the beginning of an entire genre, one that created some of the most influential media ever. Before we start talking about the impact one author can have on culture, I should give you some background on Shelley. She was born on August 30th, 1797, in London, as Mary Wollstonecraft Godwin. Her parents were William Godwin, a famous political writer and philosopher, and Mary Wollstonecraft, a famous feminist and author. And before you ask, yes, they did name Mary after her mother, the exact same name, which made researching young Mary Shelley really confusing. Anyway, her mother wrote the book The Vindication of the Rights of Women with strictures on political and moral subjects. I don't know about you, but that sounds riveting. Unfortunately, Shelley didn't really know her mom, who died ten days after giving birth to her. Her dad remarried. Enter evil stepmom. Mary's stepmom brought two children from a previous marriage into the family and favored them a lot. Mary's siblings were sent to good boarding schools, but her stepmom didn't do the same for Mary. She didn't see a point in educating a child that wasn't hers in any way other than law. Now isolated and mostly alone, Mary spent a lot of time reading at her mother's grave, which definitely falls under the category of goth chic. She also found comfort in writing. In the 1831 introduction to Frankenstein, she said that, As a child, I scribbled, and my favorite pastime during the hours given me for recreation was to write stories. Fast forward to 1814, a 16-year-old Mary meets some guy named Percy Shelley, and she's very interested. He was a student of her dad's, but he was also married and had a kid on the way. Which is problematic because cheating on your pregnant wife and deserving your kid is an issue in general. But they were also, and this is a capital R, keep in mind, romantic era authors and kinda did whatever they wanted. So they left, ran away together. Not even just a few towns over either. They fled the country, which is very romantic era authory of them. On another weird gothic note, after Percy Shelley died in a boating accident, he was cremated. Pretty normal. But his heart didn't burn. Some suggest that this was because of the salt water, or an early case of tuberculosis that calcified his heart. After the heart moved from friend to friend, it was finally given to Mary, who kept and allegedly carried it around with her. Her son found it in a writing desk after she had died. It had been wrapped in Percy's poem, Adonis, which is, unsurprisingly, about death. I should note that I have no real reliable evidence to back these claims up, because it was the 1820s and funeral pyres weren't terribly well documented, and again, they were romantic authors, so there's a lot of speculation and rumors that follow them. But the story is fitting for both Shelley's lives, and I think they'd like the legacy, true or not. So, Mary and Percy had left the country, they got married, and they struggled, mostly. They didn't have that much money, and they lost their first child, who only lived for ten days. But they were re really good friends with some of the most influential authors in all of history. And as it turns out, 
Having really smart, era-defining friends like Lord Byron helps get creative juices flowing. So one day, they're all hanging out, and Byron proposes a challenge to write the best horror story they can. Mary won with the first draft of what we now know as Frankenstein. The idea that lives in the public consciousness about Frankenstein's monster is very different from what Shelley actually described. The original description of the monster called him beautiful, with yellow skin and flowing black hair. Now, whenever we think of Frankenstein's monster, we probably think of a giant green monster with bolts in its neck that's incapable of expressing itself beyond grunts. When, in actuality, the monster is well-versed in literature, speaks French, German, and English, and is very eloquent. More capable than a lot of people that weren't made from stitched-together body parts in a lab. Essentially, the monster is a genius, eight-foot-tall, newborn baby, whose dad absolutely hates him. The popular description of the monster tends to overlook the main themes of the story like rejection from society, nature, and the importance of staying in school and actually getting a degree before calling yourself a doctor and making a human being in a lab. The novel also has strong ties to feminism, which comes as no surprise to anyone that knows anything about Mary Shelley or her parents. Victor Frankenstein is obsessed with creation and controlling it. Without going too much in depth, from a feminist lens, Frankenstein is a criticism of a male-dominated view of reproduction. Believe it or not, the belief in many cultures that the most important gods or deities are male has not always been around. In fact, most prehistoric cultures worshipped only female deities. In these matriarchal societies, women tended to have more power than men because of their magic power to reproduce. This changed with the discovery that making a child isn't magic, and requires men. And if you allow me to simplify thousands of years of human history, this fact led to the rise of the patriarchal society. Victor Frankenstein didn't play by the rules, and decided to remove women from the role of reproduction, and created a monster. He spent the rest of his life trying to destroy it. Even though Frankenstein is a criticism of various aspects of society, it is credited as being the first ever science fiction novel. It may not seem like the sci-fi we know today, vague descriptions of chemicals and shady medical procedures are far from aliens and time machines. But without Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, the entire genre of science fiction would not exist. The movies, TV shows, and books that have radically changed our society would not exist. Not only would Isaac Asimov, Jules Verne, and George Lucas be out of the job, they wouldn't have had one in the first place. Mary Shelley impacted the world so much with a single story that we would all be living a very different life without her. That's it for this week's episode of your new APHS Jaguar podcast. Join us again next week for the news, culture, and more. Thanks for listening, and as always, go Jazz!